Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. Even people who are trying very hard to seek and to accept the whole truth about some big, gigantic new reality will sometimes try to avoid even thinking about some uncomfortable details about that reality. I'm sure you accept that, as I've had to accept it. And as you likely know by now, I have spent 50 years of my life, and that's no exaggeration, studying an amazing amount of afterlife evidence and trying to ever more deeply understand what happens at and after our deaths. And it's really all good news. But there are two areas that I've been trying to ignore, just two. I didn't want to know anything about negative entities, demons, nasties, all those non-transitioned beings roaming the world without a body and, and into making trouble. Jesus was casting them out, you know, all the time. And they do exist for real, but they don't have much power and you can avoid those guys. So I just I just avoid talking about them, except... We have been discussing them lately a little bit with with Peter Wright, but that's it. And also, I don't like the fact that when people are transitioning, sometimes, you know, very rarely, they don't make the trip. They go off track and maybe even become ghosts for a little while. And I've never wanted to talk about that problem either. I've just assumed for most of my life that there haven't been enough such cases to really matter. But then, perhaps four years ago, I met today's wonderful guest, and I learned something new and amazing. Actually, our great friend Mikey Morgan tells us now, news to me, that close to 25% of the people who transition do go off track, and most of them are rescued fairly soon, fortunately, and they're they're helped to transition, transition completely pretty quickly. But still... That's a horrifying statistic when you think about it, and it speaks to the fact that our culture keeps people so ignorant about what actually happens after death and about why we even are here at all. Between religious leaders who make people afraid of hell and scientific gurus who insist that we blink out like a light, not true, there are really just a few of us who are teaching people the glorious truth that human life really is eternal, So people can easily become confused once they're out of their body and then they can get lost. Then they become really confused. But then, of course, they do have to be rescued. That was news to me. But what I didn't realize until very, very recently was that there's yet another group of people who die at what are not planned exit points. And then they die, some of them under circumstances that make them actually not even feel worthy of completing their journey and they want to hide they want to disappear as you know really that they want to not exist anymore which of course is impossible so then about four years ago i discovered that there really was something new under the afterlife sun after all my studies That was when I met Father Nathan Castle, who's a Dominican priest who lives and works in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson. So it's hard to imagine 
anyone, anyone who is a more traditional Catholic than he is. Nathan Castle is a gentle, he's a very spiritual man, and about 25 years ago, he was recruited by an elevated people not in bodies to do spiritual rescue work. Before I first met Father Nathan, I already knew quite a lot about the more traditional kind of spiritual rescue work, and I even had experimented myself with learning how to do it under the tutelage of the late great rescue expert, Bruce Moen. But to be frank, it would have seemed impossible for me even recently, impossible to even to imagine that the Catholic Church or really any Christian denomination would sanction something like spirit rescue work. I couldn't I couldn't have envisioned such a thing. But then in 2019, I read Father Nathan's terrific first book. And if you haven't read it, you should. It's called Afterlife Interrupted. Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. I was amazed to find that everything in it is completely consistent with what I had learned in doing all those death, decades of afterlife research. Father Nathan Castle is our wonderful guest today, and he's with us for the seventh time. I just still can't get over the fact that the Catholic Church is letting you do this. Well, some of the language that you just used isn't exactly the language that the Catholic Church would use or that I would use, but the phenomenology, the reality behind it is that we survive our deaths and that uh, we're like as a little Catholic child, I was taught that uh, that many people upon their death would go to some sort of in-between place called purgatory, and then they would each have some of their own uh, work to do. Uh, Oftentimes it was put in kind of penal terms that they had to get ahead to serve a punishment for how many sins they committed or whatever. That was one way of thinking of it that I didn't really embrace completely. But the idea that if the word means to cleanse and and that sometimes it was described as uh, some sort of way that you might primp before you go to the wedding, you know, or to some, you know, before you go to the wedding. I love it. Well, you know, there must be times when you have some some special occasion where you spend a little more time in front of the mirror, you know, or, or put a little more effort into what you're wearing and so on. Uh, it was kind of put that like that in my childhood that if you're going to go into the presence of the king, of, of the king of all creation, you might want to do a little cleaning up first. We used to do that just to go to the oh. airport. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. OK. okay. Fair enough. Um and and so that's that. Do you think that the people? Because I remember some of the stories from from your books. Do you think that's how the people were seeing it themselves when they didn't transition completely? Oh, it it varies. I remind Catholic people that we're there are eight, eight billion people on the planet right now, and one point four are Catholic. And so let's let's uh, have a little modesty or humility about about the fact that we don't run the whole universe, but we're part of it. Uh, the, lots of the people I deal with are not Catholic and don't use those categories. They just describe things in their own terms, and we work with them too. We're, we're, we're really like the discharge staff in a medical center. The people that we deal with, my prayer partners and I, all died sudden traumatic deaths, almost always. We get a few exceptions, but once most of the time, they're people who were shocked uh, out of their body and thrust into something next and they're they're given the help that they need and they progress to the point where they don't need that level of help any longer and they're ready to move on 
And that's where we come in. We help them get out the door. So I don't think of our work as rescue. We're just part of a, a continuum of care. Any of your listeners that have ever had to be in a hospital more than a day, you know, everyone looks forward to leaving. And there's usually somebody at the, at the, all the way at the end of the process that helps you collect your thoughts and gather your things and maybe ask you about your physical therapy or your upcoming follow-up appointments, something like that. We just help people kind of uh, move along. You're so modest about this because the work that you do is really extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And I, 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 uh, believe me, every new experience is, um, a learning opportunity. And even though I've done it for 27 years, I'm, I'm still learning new things. I have st- new stories in, the, in my upcoming book that uh, uh, just my guardian angel helped with one just the other day. And he told me something about himself that I hadn't thought of before. Um, one of my partners has worked, but my guardian doesn't talk very often, but once in a while he does. And he did the other day. And my friend, Michael, who was the prayer partner, had had met him before and asked him, what do you do when the when the people actually leave at the end of a session? Do you go, ever go with them? And he said, well, I, I can be like you. I can make all my beingness be contained in one place as though inside of skin. But I don't have to. I can build both be with Nathan as his guardian, and I can let myself expand and for a while accompany the one who's leaving. Fascinating. Yeah. he's. Uh, then he said, and you think of yourself as ending at the tip of your finger, but in fact, you have an aura that extends beyond that. Yes. Yes. That, uh, that we both have, both the human order and the angelic order have that in common of a, a, a sense of being contained in something fixed and then also having a nature that goes beyond that. So I hadn't thought of that before. I just that was just a new learning in the last week or so. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, that is really interesting. Yeah, and it makes so, sense. That doesn't. Well, how, seem you you that say that you've been doing this for twenty-seven years. Did you say yes, that? About that? Yeah. So I didn't do it publicly out loud because I was busy running big campus ministries and staffs and fundraising and all the you know pastoral counseling and all the things that came with a very complicated life. But when I got, uh, I'm now 67, and when I, when I uh, stopped being a pastor and a full-time campus minister, I I began talking about this and writing about it. So, so in the very beginning, I know that when each of these um, experiences happens, it starts with a dream. They call yes. you in a dream. How how did the very first one happen? Is that how it happened? Say so you had a dream. Yes, it came in a dream. Uh, in fact, that was the you said this is my seventh appearance on your your show. Uh, that was the subject of the first one. We went into that story in a lot of detail. It was a dream where I, I'll try to be brief because I have told that story other places. But the uh, yeah, I was having a dream about finishing a round of golf, going into the bar with a friend, and in the what golfers call the nineteenth hole, the bar, uh, there was a, <laughs> uh-huh. an auction going on. And there was all these auction items. So this was still my life, you know, golf and and fundraising for a nonprofit. And there was a nasty piece of art on the far wall. And I called my partner's attention to it and said, look at that God awful thing over there. Who would give that to a charity? But it it had a compelling character around it where I wanted to see it more clearly the way that we might gawk at a wreck on the freeway. 
we know that it's really unpleasant to see, but something makes us want to look. Um, and I, I looked at it and it looked, it moved toward me. And then inside this picture frame, uh, I saw a man burning to death on the hood of a car. And I knew that I was being called uh, back when we used to have pagers. Uh, I'd had to take a turn. Maybe Tuesday night might be my hospital night. And if any, if there were emergency call for a priest at the hospital, it, the pager would go off on my nightstand. It felt like that, that I was being called, uh, just uh -huh. not pager. So I prayed, uh, talked to the person a little bit in prayer, not back and forth, just toward them. I told them hello. And I got, I, I think I got what you want me to see. Uh, I wrote it down. And then in the morning, I happened to be on retreat with a group of people. And one of them was a very gifted spiritual person who I had prayed with many times. And I just asked if she would, at a break, if we could go aside and have a little privacy and pray about it. And when we did, uh, the man emerged and she had the capacity to allow him to speak using her voice. And so we asked him how we could help. And that's how it got started. Because many people listening now haven't, didn't hear, I'm sure, that first time. But that's that's fascinating. So that's how they called you to do this work. That's that how it started. Needed. I mean, I'd been doing, I hadn't been doing this work, but in childhood, I was praying for the souls in purgatory the way I was taught as a little Catholic kid. And I, I fell asleep every night doing that. Uh, the newspapers, we had two of them when I was a child in the 60s. Uh, one was in the morning and one was at night. And at, once I knew how to read a little bit, I would I would find the obituary pages and pray for the people that had died. And especially if they weren't Catholic, because our town was kind of half Baptist and half Catholic. And I knew that the, the Baptists didn't believe in purgatory, so they wouldn't know to pray for their families there. <laughs> so, so I did it. That was my thing. Oh, my dear Nathan, aren't you wonderful? Well, I, I was just taught that um, that there was something that anybody could do. My aunts were both first grade teachers. They were Dominican nuns. And one of them told me as a child, but right before First Communion, uh, God listens to everybody. God loves everybody. Here's everybody's prayers. But the prayers of children are super powerful. They go straight to God's heart. You won't be child very long. So don't waste your short childhood. Pray for everything and everyone you can think of. Oh, my goodness. And so I did that. And so I would fall asleep each night very busily trying to move people up. I thought of them. My dad would take me to the bank with my little savings account for college. And it, the people <laughs> people in the bank, it, it was obvious they planned to make you wait because they had those zigzaggy rope things inside. Right? Of uh, and you had to get in the line and wait your turn. And you just had to be patient because if you, you know, if you were patient, eventually it would be your turn. So I just imagine the souls in purgatory were in line at the bank and oh, some yeah. on the cusp of being in heaven, but nobody's praying for them. And so if I prayed one prayer, they would uh, cross the border. That's kind of the way I thought of it. Uh, and I was taught that if yours was the prayer that sprung somebody into heaven, you'd have a friend for all eternity. So it just seemed like low hanging fruit. I'd pray for oh. whoever was friend. One aggravating <laughs> prayer short of heaven, and I would provide it. And oh, and I would, Nathan, I would, I would so feel funny. sad for the guy that just got there and saw that the line is long because nobody wants the line to be long at the grocery store, or the bank, or anywhere else. Oh, so I would pray wonderful. for whoever just got there, and uh, and then I'd pray for somebody in the middle. I would say, Lord, you can put this one toward the anybody you want, kind of a you know a 
wild card prayer. So anyway, oh, I fall asleep. It, it sounds exhausting, but that was fine because I was trying to fall asleep anyway. So I'd fall asleep like that. Oh, um, I think of all the friends you have in heaven now, and they're all Baptists. I just love <laughs> that so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see how that all turns out, you know, in the great <laughs> roundup. But in the meanwhile, it, it took on this other thing. I'm as I said, I'm 67 now. This started, you know, when I was, you know, in my mid 40s, I think. Oh, that's just wonderful. I just love that so much. All those dear well, It's been a wild ride. And then with all this business, and then I, I also learned that um, my voice is consecrated. I'm a Dominican. We're the order of preachers. We lay on the floor of a chapel and are prayed over. And our voices in particular are given over to God's work. And I learned uh, along the way that, that um, in the right time and place that my voice could be borrowed by someone else in order to tell what, say what they needed to say. I believe it's a gift of prophecy in the Christian lingo. Uh, or in, in the Jewish Christian tradition of the prophets allow their voice to uh, become the voice of God for a time. That is just so beautiful. That's wonderful. But then in due time, then um, they have, they have then used you in doing this work and they began to use it, to use you doing, you doing this work when you were in your forties. Yes. They it, come about a dream story like that comes about once a week. So I keep a journal on the nightstand in case that tonight there's a, a visitor, call him a night visitor. And if one of those occurs, I write it down, say a, a quick prayer and go back to sleep. And then now I have, especially during the pandemic, when it was so difficult to be together in person, I got used to doing them on Zoom. And so now uh, most Fridays and Saturday mornings, I'm with somebody somewhere around the country uh, we usually schedule ourselves for two hours and we can do two crossings in that amount of time. So right now I'm, I, I'm, uh, they're a little backed up to, uh, we're recording this on the 20th of June and I'm only up to about April 10th right now. So I'm trying to get caught up. They don't seem to mind, you know, they do, some of them pay attention to time and other ones don't, but they're never impatient with me. Uh, we, we get to them when we can. Because there really isn't time where they are, it, and they have infinity at this point. They have it depends. They don't all perceive it that way. I thought that at the beginning, but there's not a one-size-fits-all way to be in the afterlife, at least the little people I've been looking through. Some of them do know. Uh, they pay. It. You must know people that, that pay very little attention to time. Well, they're, they're not supposed to. Well, I mean, don't you have some? Do. do you do you ever have anybody in your circle if you make a dinner date uh, and say let's meet at seven thirty? You're pretty confident they won't be there on time. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> true. I know. Do people? I do know people like that. Yeah, there's just we have different you know orientations toward time, and that doesn't right. end with our death. Uh, people sometimes. People yes. Yeah. And sometimes, if they're really, uh, if they're really attached strongly to people who are still here. They tend to. Pay they more. do tend to stay on Earth time. That's absolutely like, like right. parents who die when they have young children. Yep, that's they true. Want to, they want to stay. Uh, sometimes want to stay involved in their children's growth, and so they. That's very they, true. They stay they oriented. Out with how that. they can uh, how they can pay attention to their kids without being creepy. But just just for people who perhaps haven't heard other interviews that we've done. 
um, the that when you when you say you're helping them to cross over, they, my understanding is just briefly that that um, when when people people that are you're helping have been helped by their um, their spirit guides or the people who've been coaching yeah. them post transition. Right. Um, they're now more comfortable with the notion of transitioning. And so their guides have gotten in touch with you and now they're ready for your help. And that's, that's basically the, the guide has gotten in touch with you then. Yes. And, and, and uh, their, their team, I hardly ever work with the other team members, but they make reference to different kinds of uh, things, sort of like counseling, uh-huh. uh, but they have to come, they have to grow in truth a lot of time. And they have to recognize things that they thought about themselves that were either untrue or maybe had a kernel of truth, but got exaggerated in a way that was unhelpful. Um, and sometimes it's the event that that caused their the death of the body uh, might have created guilt. You know, they might have made a driving accident that not only killed them, but others. And so they right at the end of their life they also inherited a bunch of other stuff to work through trauma so right it just depends uh, and then some of them have been murder victims and they have to decide whether they're going to be angry at their murderer or whether they just give them a pass and you know go on think about other things people do that very differently this is very important and they some some of them had some things to forgive about themselves or about other people yes and some people come from families that teach them good forgiveness practices and others don't right very sometimes, important very, sometimes very they have important. to learn forgiveness as an adult or even learn it in the life of you know or, where there was shame attached to their death Yes, uh, sometimes they they died in a, a circumstance that they wish they, they wanted to ke- keep secret, but it got revealed, and so then they have to deal with that. Um, there's just you know the world has so many stories in it, and yes, they're uh, they're they're just each the, the in the book that I'm doing. This will be the third one in this series, and I'm keeping the main title Afterlife Interrupted, but the subtitle of the next one is going to be Please Let Me Explain. And oh, I'm choosing stories where I think the person who we helped did such a fine job of explaining either the, their death, what happened immediately afterwards, what has followed. Uh, and then we always do a follow up interview. We don't tell anybody's story publicly without their permission. And it just seems rude in the middle of their transition to say, don't leave yet. We're writing a book. We want to. You know, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. They're trying to go home and you stop. Yeah, they don't need me interrupting about writing a book. So um, we will, you know, when it's time to write a next book, we'll go back you know, over the, uh, all of these. I record all of these sessions and transcribe them and store them. So I have them in their own words in the original vernacular they, that they used when we first met. And then if we choose to... Uh, desire to include them in a book, we go back and I try to get with the same prayer partner if they're available and say, let's do a permission asking of this person. I I, I have one to share with you today if, if our conversation goes that direction. But um, we get their permission and they that could be a yes or no statement because well, all it is is us saying, may we use your story, yes or no. But they almost you can, get, you can find the same person and ask them the, the the for the permission. It works perfectly. We we all we've never been turned down. We just we go back into prayer 
and say, maybe please speak to this person. And they come through. We ask them. Um, there's usually some pleasantries, you know, the way that before we've launched this uh, this particular podcast this morning, we were talking for about five minutes, don't you think, before we went live? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's just exchanging a few pleasantries, courtesies. Uh, we <laughs> it's do that. It's such a small universe. <laughs> well, it is. But if, uh, and these people, I didn't know them well, but I at least have been a part of their life for an important moment. And yeah. so now uh, we're, we get caught up with each other a little bit. And, and then we, I'll tell them why we were even thinking of using their story and they'll elaborate a little bit. And it's those conversations are usually relatively short, but they're uh, sometimes, and some of my partners like to inquire of them. Well, tell us what you've been up to. What have you been doing since you made your crossing? And uh, one of them today uh, was recently talking about, he said, well, one of the things I wanted to do after I made my transition and, and moved over to the next level said I be- it became possible for me to visit relatives and friends, but that hadn't been possible for him before. And he said, you know, uh, I, I had he called he called his childhood golden. He said, I had a golden childhood. I know many people didn't. But I had a wonderful childhood. And one of the things I wanted to do was reconnect with people from my childhood. And he said, you know, when you look at a photo album, you might be with your grandmother who's sitting next to you and turning a page and saying, this is the house I grew up in. And there might be a Model T in front of it or something. He said, it's sort of like that now, except she might be saying this. When I was your age, this is what I looked like. Well, he said, now you do that and you can go right through the page. And you can walk into the scene and you can be with your grandmother when she was 10. Oh, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And he said, um, you know, I've been in scenes where I'm now older than people that were a generation or two older than me. But they're showing me what it was like to be them at a different moment in their life. And so I'm getting to know the backstory of people that I knew here, but getting to know them more richly because they can tell me in their own words and in their own place. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it? Doesn't that sound like oh, you, eternity is a long time, but I think I could enjoy a, a, a long part of it. Yes. Just doing that. People ask me, well, what, what is there to do there? The, that Like there couldn't be much to do? Well, there's infinite fun stuff to do there. Precisely. Yeah. Isn't that so wonderful? God. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's that's what one one gentleman I just was working with. Just chose what, that. what story do you have to tell us for the, from your upcoming book? I feel like this is preview of coming attractions. I thought you'd never ask. I'm glad you did. <laughs> his, uh, he, his, uh, the, you know, the, they come in a dream. And so I'm going to read you the dream because it was almost, it was just so brief. This, uh, he came uh, on July 25th, 2022. So uh, coming up on a year ago. Uh, I was standing talking with a well-dressed and well-groomed older gentleman. Suddenly he was stricken and fell to the ground. I heard the word clothier and I awoke. That's not a word you use very often, is it? Clothier? Not too much, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I know that there are, I've been in a few small menswear stores that have that word attached and you kind of expect that you're going to be getting a lot of customer service at a clothier place. Right. Um, anyway, uh, when we asked uh, for, you know, when we made ourselves available to help him, 
his uh, his guardian came through, and we almost always ask for the guardian just to give us a little bit of, of uh, clarity. So, uh, because dreams are can be sort of indistinct by nature, you can you know they have some symbology in them. But this one was really simple. It turned out that he was uh, 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 the word portly. Um, can you uh-huh. think of a portly gentleman? Uh, I had a, there was, a, do you remember the uh, character actor Sebastian Cabot? Yes. He always played those kind of roles, like uh-huh. a gentleman, butler, well-dressed, maybe, maybe English. Uh, anyway, this guy had that kind of affect around him. And, uh, well, you know, he had died suddenly. And he said, well, I didn't die violently, but I did die suddenly. So I kind of qualified to be in your line. And I was talking with my friends, a married couple, um, Michael and Linda, help uh, with this one. And he um, he, he described for us um, the fact that... Um, let's see, hang on just a second. I'm, I'm flipping through my pages. He, dis- he decided that he would, would um, disclose to us that he had been homosexual... And he had he lived at a time when, if had that been known, it would have been a huge disgrace and a uh, a blockage to any kind of career. And he had to kind of navigate that. And, and one of the things he landed on is he thought, well, I have a I have a fine eye for how men can look good. And he said, without objectifying them and making it a sexual thing, I felt like I had a gift for helping men look their best. So he went into that line of work and he said he really enjoyed helping people. Most people, if when they are thinking about how they appear, what they look like to other people, most people have some sense of their strengths and weaknesses. Would you say that's true of you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> we're not on camera, but if we were, would you want to make sure you're right side or face the camera or your left or <laughs> yeah or you, well there's all the especially women's grooming's products there's all kind of concealers you know yeah that, you know there's all kind of ways that we accent the negative or the positive and eliminate the negative he said that's what he really liked to do and he said his much much of his clientele were people that could afford his service but he really enjoyed it when somebody that hardly ever had the money to do this kind of thing came in before their wedding or before a job interview and he sure. would help them assess their how they looked. And he said, if they would allow me to, I would ask them, tell me, tell me an attribute or two of how you look that you like. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he would listen to them, and he would say, well, I agree with you. Your hair really is, uh, it, it it looks very good. He 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 said, of one man, he said, your eyes are sparkly green. Anything that you wear that's green is going to help people look you in the eye. Huh. That's a good thing. He, he was just talking about the, the two tricks of his craft. Right. And he, he said, you also have an engaging, gentle smile. So in order to bring out your smile, I would go with fabrics that suggest gentleness rather than coarseness. I wouldn't dress you in wool because it's scratchy. I would dress you in something softer to match the softness of your smile. Huh. So anyway, he was going and and he, he talked about people that were shorter. Most of them wanted to look taller. And so he just he would describe for them different fabrics that drape in a way that uh, suggest length. 
and and flow and he would help people at, uh and then he would he said sometimes i'd get an impulse that uh, i would be right in the middle of my work and i'd get an impulse wait a minute there's something in the back room that would be perfect for this person and he and he said usually you had to do some nip and tuck of tailoring to make a thing fit perfectly but once in a while there'd be something in the back that you just this was exactly the right person for it so he went on at length about that about doing that and how much joy it gave him and then he compared it do you ever watch any of those home improvement shows that are kind of all over the place now People I don't, houses. I don't ever watch TV, so I don't really know anything about them. I have it on uh, around, you know, when I'm doing other things. And uh, a lot of these shows go for an hour. And in the last, I don't know, 10 minutes, they do a reveal. They start you off with some dilapidated thing. And then they show you all the travails of getting it fixed up. And then at the end, the owner or the potential buyer walks through it. And there's a reveal and how beautiful it is. Uh, oh. And he said he really enjoyed the reveal part when he could put somebody in front of one of those mirrors that has actually three uh, panels to it, uh -huh. uh, where you can face yourself, but you can also see yourself to the right and the left. Uh, he said he he liked putting people in those where they could get a good look at themselves looking their best. Oh, um, yes. And that he could send people out into the world uh, feeling confident and happy about themselves. That's nice. Yeah. And, he said after his death, he he said uh, he said he was uh, that sometimes the phrase closeted homosexual was used. But he said, I wasn't a tennis racket or a pair of work boots. I wasn't an object that that one stored in a closet. <laughs> he didn't he didn't like oh. that idea. He said, I simply uh, chose to reveal some things about myself to others and, and keep others to myself. That's the way he spoke of it. Uh -huh. uh, uh, but he said, when I got here, they they made me recognize that I'd gotten so used to being the uh, the potential object of other people's scorn because of my sexuality that they needed to work with me on that. And he was talking with his guardian angel and his guardian angel said, um, his, asked him, would you allow me to show myself to you completely as I am? Isn't that an interesting question? Yeah. Would do you allow me to show myself to you completely as I am? And he said, well, of course, of course, please do. And then he said his guardian angel kind of turned like a pirouette and went from being the way he was presenting to gloriousness and, yes. and fantastic beauty. And and then he said, no, look, look down because I'm about to turn back into the way I was presenting myself to you a moment ago. And uh, he said, we, we do that routinely with one another, but I want you to see the most glorious version of yourself and you haven't seen it yet. Are you ready to see it? Oh. And he said, I suppose. And he said, well, all you have to do is turn around. And he had him turn around in the, in front of these three mirrors and he had to see himself as the perfect child of God that he always was. And it without was. anybody having an opinion about it, or he having an opinion about it, uh huh. Uh, and he just he said, "I simply turned around and I saw myself as magnificent because, not because I had an opinion about it, because it was just the reality in front of me or in me." And so he said, he showed me my my full beauty, and uh, 
and that helped me move along. <laughs> he left behind some, you know, re re restricting thoughts about himself and was ready to go on to a next step. That was part of what he needed to do to cross. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. Isn't it? Yes. So I wanted him, His. I thought he did a, such a nice job of explaining it. And of course, I'm summarizing it quickly in it. In yes. Podcast, but, uh, but it'll be in his own words uh, at length in the new book. But but what is what is beautiful is that God does see us whole. Yes. God sees us as beautiful. I mean, the religions do such terrible things. I mean, I know where that whole homosexual nonsense comes from in the Old Testament, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with uh, with with who we are. I, I mean, the the religions make such a botch of it. Yeah. It's Old Testament nonsense. Well, and you know that they're the at the same time we're taught that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, and that we're you know that we're beautiful as God is beautiful, and so yes. oftentimes you get the same religion giving you conflicting messages. I mean, I've lived as a Catholic my whole life, and I, I was I was having to sort through those at a like a first grade level. Yeah, I can remember hearing things being taught things and just figuring, well, that doesn't sound true to me. No. <laughs> Even as a, <laughs> as a you know, uh, but, you know, uh, that's, that's just uh, a part of the whole big mystery of life. Yeah. Well, that, that's lovely. That's lovely, Nathan. I, I think one of the things about your books is that they do, I think they read like candy. They're, they, they're, they're, they're not, um, they're not heavy in any way. And each of the stories is a beautiful personal story from a real, real person. Uh, they're very touching. Yes. Um, each of the stories is so touching and they're, you know, each of them is a real person, but, the, but none of them are heavy at all. They're, they're, they're very sweet. All of those stories. They are even ones. There are some, um, you know, we have, uh, picked particular stories for particular reasons. And as I said earlier, in this new book, it's going to be because they explain themselves so well um, and, and I think can teach us something. But there are sometimes where they're, they're very dark, uh, you know, awful murders and, uh, you know, horrible things that I, that I, I haven't written that book yet. <laughs> there are people that die in ways that are quite cruel and awful but even them, they all—they're all redemptive. They all survive. I, I was just going to use that same word. They're all. Each of the stories has redeeming qualities. Yes, yeah. they all get over whatever it was. Yes. Uh, particularly one uh, one genre is people that die at the hands of the uh, drug cartels. They they they're often tortured and mocked and stuff before they die. And, and so people are being extraordinarily cruel to them. And so it can be hard to hear that, uh, even though you know they're going to rise above it. So I do. And, and that's why we, and it's just that when we do one of those once in a while, instead of doing two in a row, sometimes we just say, uh, that's enough for today. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes, you know, you just you get a little you, you get an insight into uh, uh, people's cruelty and. And, and but at the same time, you know, I am a Christian and Good Friday turns into Easter morning really quickly. 
In that. all of those stories, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you always know they're going to come out of it okay, and they're always going to be saved, literally. Doesn't matter saved. whatever it was. Uh, and, yes. uh, and then some of them have moved at a very slow pace in the afterlife, and they appreciate that they weren't made to feel stupid or slow. They just moved at the pace that they chose. And then uh, there's another story that's going to be in the new book uh, of a, a young guy uh, died at 22 or 3, in, an, in a traffic accident and his advice to people, he wanted to give advice. He said, if you put me in your book, I, I said, no, wait a minute, we're asking your permission, but that doesn't guarantee you a spot in the book. <laughs> we're, we're, just, <laughs> we're at the front end, you know, we're just doing a little exploring. And he said, well, I'm grateful that you even, you've even included me on the possible list. But he said, if you do put me in the book, here's what I want to tell people, get over it, go fast. <laughs> said, you know, you know, whatever it is that you feel like you've got to work through, do it as fast as you can. So that was because you want to get to the good part, right? Now. <laughs> well, yeah, he was from this big Italian family, and, and he died tragically in this accident. Uh, and 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 there were, you know, he said I could have been. He wasn't the driver. He said I could have been angry at the driver. I could have been angry at God. I could have, you know, he said there were all these other options and things I could have done. And he said, I just, I just think. Um, we had a really bad day. That's the way he called the baby. <laughs> it was just a bad day. It was a bad day. The guy, he was in a 15 passenger van with a group of people being brought to a work site inside a refinery. And the guy that was driving it had never driven one before. And he had, there was a fire in the refinery and he had to turn around in a place where there was barely enough room to turn around. And as it turned out, there wasn't enough room and they tumbled down a hill and into nasty river or something inside a refinery do you do you remember the um the comic the the uh the far side i remember the far side yeah yeah it was uh, usually a one panel uh um, uh-huh. comic and one of the it ran for about 15 years i think and one of my favorites which was kind of iconic was one called the crisis center do you happen to remember it i don't know whether i do i'll describe it for you and your listeners uh, it's only one panel and it doesn't have a caption because it doesn't need one. It's a picture of a, a three-story building that must have been swept away in a flood because it's floating in a river and it's on fire and it's about to go over a, a waterfall. <laughs> every every possible crisis is happening at the crisis center. <laughs> There's been a flood and a fire and you're about to go over a cliff. Uh, uh, it was a bad day. Yes. Yeah, it was a bad day, and and he he had enough time. He was he was in the middle seat of a of a fifteen passenger van, so he 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 had no access to a window, and nobody was wearing a seat belt, and he was about to uh, fall off the edge of a cliff where he probably wait it could catch fire, or it could land in nasty water inside a refinery and drown. So he he had a moment to think. Damn, I'm in the crisis center. <laughs> I could die any of these three ways. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and he did. And his guardian plucked him out before he could be burned or drowned or anything and grabbed him and put him off to the side and said, do you understand that, you're, that your body's over there and you're over here? Yes. Yes. And Which do you is- understand that I've got you and you're safe? Yes. And, he's, yeah. and then his guardian said, you can either, he called his guardian Tinkerbell. He, he decided to get name his angel Tinkerbell. 
for that one in you know in Walt Disney. Is right. that Peter Pan that's the Tinkerbell? Um, anyway, he said Tinkerbell did a good job of getting me out of there. And then she said to me, you can either look over there where your body, he said, your body has carried you through lots of things, but it couldn't carry you through that. Right. It's over there and you're over here, but you're safe. You can look over there if you want to, but, and we'll stay here as long as, uh, until you say the word. And we'll leave as soon as you say the word. And he said, well, there was no reason to sit there. (laughs) So I said, go ahead, let's go wherever you're going to take me. And he just went with it. You know, he just. Just just listen, listen to what Father Nathan just said. If you're going to be in a fatal accident, that's how it happens. You're out of your body before the fatal accident. It's the easiest possible way to die. I I keep hearing that over and over again. They said I flew through the windshield, but I wasn't in my body at the time. Right. That's what happens. To me, that's the easiest possible way to go. That or going in your sleep. That's another easy way to go. But yeah, yeah. Very easy. Well, I've been I through wish, so many I wish car we crashes. Keep doing this. I just noticed we are totally out of time. All right. No, no, I can't. I just can't stop listening to you. I think that you're just delightful. Whenever well, you've we... had me on seven times now. That's uh, I'm I'm so grateful that you've found my stories worth telling. I I really it comes back to my vocation is to is to preach Jesus and Him risen and. Uh, that that were risen from the dead is the central message of uh, of the faith I've been raised in, and so why not tell it? Well, every everything you whenever whenever you talk, I can't stop listening to you. I think it's so delightful. Your your vocation, you live to the full, and this is just beautiful. Everything you talk about is beautiful. Well, likewise. What 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 do you want people to take away from their experience listening to you today? That they are eternal and uh, that it just gets better and better. It just gets better and better if you let it. And it, and if you'll accept uh, the good and the bad uh, and just uh, move moment by moment through life, doing the best you can and trying to be of service to other people. But remember, you're going to survive all this. And there's great many joys awaiting us. And it does, and there's no one size fits all for it too. You get to be the crafter of what your afterlife will be. You are you are crafting it even as we speak it. It's but it is eternal. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, my dear, please give yourself the biggest hug from me. <laughs> Thank you so much. We will we will be doing this again. All right. Well, God bless you. Thanks for having me on. God bless you too, my dear. And and. Father Nathan's website is nathan-castle.com and his his book will be out, his third book will be out in the fall. Please watch for it. And if you haven't read the first two, you are in for a treat. Just get yourself those books because as I say, I mean, they talk about some horrible deaths, but uh, everybody comes out fine because life is eternal, guaranteed. That's one thing we can absolutely guarantee you all about. So everyone, um, as you know, um, the this is you are eternal that is the big big message and again we have come to the end of our time this has been seek reality with roberta grimes i'm so happy you could be with us today please never forget that you are a powerful eternal being you never began you never will end and when you really get what that means it changes 
everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Joyce Stewart. She's a a really curious spiritual teacher and energy healer. She's always bringing up something new, and she's one of several people whose work I've been following for years because she keeps bringing me helpful new things that I can share with you. And this this is going to be her ninth secret reality visit. We'll be talking about the power of our minds, our thoughts and our words, and how we ourselves have the power to heal our own minds. Please be sure to join us next week. And this week, we've been enjoying, we've gone right off the end of our time because we've been so much enjoying visiting with and listening to our wonderful friend, Father Nathan Castle, who's been with us for the seventh, but not the last time. Our sixth level friend, Mikey Morgan, tells us that as many as a quarter of the people who currently transition don't do it smoothly or right away. And some of them are rescued. A lot of them are rescued pretty quickly. But in some cases, the rescue is not so quick or smooth because Often the person has gone off track and feels immobilized and give by guilt, by shame, and some other more complex situations. Our precious friend, Father Nathan, is called in by that person's guides to help once the one who has transitioned feels ready to complete the journey. And as Father Nathan says, maybe they're in purgatory or something. And Father Nathan is a Dominican priest who amazingly has been chosen by beings not in bodies to undertake this sensitive and difficult task. And it just shows you what a beautiful soul he truly is. You really will enjoy his book. So, you know, give yourself that treat. And of course, it's time once again for us to mention that Seek Reality Online is your one-stop resource for all things afterlife. Just go to seekreality.com and start to learn for yourself that your own reality really is eternal. Learn the ultimate truth from Craig Hogan himself, who, who is the ultimate expert on all things afterlife. As you know, by now, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together. For young children, there's The Fun of Meeting Jesus, and you can order all these books through bookstores on Amazon.com, in BarnesandNoble.com, just about anywhere you can find books, and most of the adult books are available as audiobooks as well. If you want to talk to me about anything at all, just contact me through the green contact block on RobertaGrimes.com. I answer every email. Just be sure I get your correct email address. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and always make the most of this coming week in our one reality knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and most of all in this entire universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. Everything. 